Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ladies and gents, John Mattis here, the host of this fine hockey podcast. The podcast is called Off the Post, and today, my usual co-host, regular, semi-regular co-host, whatever he's called, Michael Tracos, he's not in person today, we're not in the office together, he is via phone in Florida, uh, we do sort of a rapid fire edition, um, and uh, do true or false questions, go sort of around the league, and one of them, one of the questions is about uh, who the best net front presence is in the league and I talk about Crosby briefly and the funny thing is is now that I'm editing the podcast this is Wednesday night I'm looking over at the TV and watching an insane highlight of Crosby tipping a puck to himself right in the crease and knocking that puck in the net it's if you haven't seen it google it um and if you're listening to this you've probably seen it because you love hockey and it was that phenomenal uh Michael was in Florida did a lot of fine work from uh from there covering the GM meetings if you want to find his stuff, nationalpost.com or torontosun.com. And if you want to read my story on the art of tipping, which I reference in this podcast when we're talking about Crosby, JVR, Anders Lee, those type of guys, uh, just Google the art of the tip, John Mattis, and you'll find it. Uh, a lot of great insight from some uh, some excellent tippers in the NHL, some good deflectors. Um, I did a, a long-form story about that in October and uh, forgot to pitch it in a good way. Forgot to plug it while we're talking about um, tipping. So, without further ado, here we go. From the center of the hockey universe, this is the Off the Post podcast. Live from a mysterious, undisclosed airport in the state of Florida. With 10 games left in the NHL season, with the playoffs within striking distance, our good friend Michael Trakos is on the line. Mike, what's up? Hey, not much, John. Yeah, stuck in an airport here. Although, when you're in Florida, it's not that bad to be stuck here. But uh, how are you doing? I'm pretty good. Uh, not as good as you because you've been in Florida covering the general manager's meeting for uh, Post Media. You are the national hockey writer for the company. And I'm speaking to you today... Uh, to do sort of a rapid-fire uh, episode. Um, I'm going to ask you true and false questions. You're going to give me the answer, and uh, we're just going to sort of discuss the, the topic at hand. Um, we'll go through sort of... Now, do you want me to be devil's advocate the whole time, John, like usual, or should I be agreeable <laughs> this time? You can be whatever you want to be. You can switch it up. You can be uh, the evil Michael Tracos or the good Michael Tracos. All right, I'll keep it guessing. You're, you're ready to bring your takes, though? Yeah, yeah, I'm full of hot takes. You know that. 
Yeah, I, I hope uh, there aren't too many screaming kids around you or uh, airport employees bumping into you with carts. I hope this goes over well. <laughs> we shall see. We shall see. Okay, so you're at the general manager's meeting, which they've, they've wrapped up by now, hence you leaving. Uh, it's Wednesday night that we're recording this. So here's my first question for you. True or false, the NHL has fixed its goaltender interference problem. Oh, that's a big false, John. <laughs> big one. That's, a, that's an easy one right off the start. Um, they've improved it. I think that's the uh, that's the key part. Um, what they've essentially done now is rather than have uh, the referee working in concert with the situation room back in Toronto, um, it's being completely taken out of the referee's hands. So when there is a challenge on goalie interference, situation room is going to look at a multiple um, array of uh, uh, replays, and then based on that, um, the situation room is going to have the final say as to uh, what the call stands or gets reversed. And the key point on that is, I think they're really trying to well, they're trying to strive for some sort of consistency and a standard of consistency. And when you've got the same group of four or five uh, guys in the situation room, and now it's going to include a, a former referee, so you've got a little bit extra knowledge. But they're thinking is rather than have 34 full-time reps. Um, all kind of inject their own sort of personality and flavor into the call. By having sort of a standardized system here, you're going to get some consistency. The problem is you can't get consistency in something that is so judgmental. And um, really, it's subject to, um, like, it's almost like a snowflake. Like, no two goalie interference calls are the same. So you're still going to have that subjectivity, and you're still going to have a lot of anger. But I think where this is going right now is, um, they want to at least um, optically uh, portray the fact that, you know what, we are trying, we are um, taking this seriously, and uh, as best as we can, this is going to be uh, a consistent um, basis of kind of um, we got to the, the results from, um, you know, like every time at least you know it's the same four guys coming to the results. To me, it's not about the process or the people in charge, the people making the final call. It's nice what they've done here. It's a nice baby step forward, but I don't think it really solves the real issue here. Nobody knows what goalie interference is. That's the issue. Uh, we got high-profile coaches, Mike Babcock of the Toronto Maple Leafs, Mike Sullivan of the Pittsburgh Penguins, Phil Housley of the Buffalo Sabres. All of them recently have acted out. Uh, you see their body language and, and their comments after games going, I have no idea what a goalie interference call uh, should be or, or what warrants one. Um, it's a bad look. Um, and you don't really blame these guys. Um, you don't really blame anyone but uh, because it's how everyone feels. Everyone is confused. I would imagine the people uh, at the NHL office are equally confused and they're just hoping that they can douse the fire and come up with some sort of solution here. Um, because what the hell is goalie interference? Um and we have Kevin King, Colin Campbell, and that group uh, at, at the NHL offices in the Situation Room, uh, who will who will take over from here. It seems like it's a bit of passing the buck um, because the confusion remains. But again, baby steps. Yeah, the thing I'll say about this is by kind of going this extra step now and taking it out of the ref hands and just kind of um, having a standardized okay for like a, like a Situation Group uh, ruling on it. Um, I think if you can convince coaches um, that there is sort of a 
they can trust the process. The next step would be to penalize coaches to challenge something that ends up being uh, wrong, uh, and similar to how uh, offside challenges are dealt with right now. And I think that was a big problem um, within the NHL. Is they had 170 challenges um, as of today, um, and 170 is way too many. I think on the uh, offside challenges, they went from uh, somewhere around that number to uh, I think around 50 this year. So really, I think the the problem is coaches are now throwing up the like uh, throwing a flag every time they think that there is some sort of contact or problems around the crease, and because of that. Uh, they're saying, you know, I've got a 50-50 shot because we don't even know what goalie interference is because you guys don't know what it is. But I think if the coaches can kind of trust the process and the next step is you start penalizing them, well, you're going to see fewer um, challenges and the ones that do get challenged are maybe going to be the egregious ones. And I think that's the end game right now with the NHL. Because like what you said, unless you're going to go with a um, almost like a foot-in-the-crease type rule where anything in the blue paint is off-limit, you're never going to get that 100%. Um, clarity. I want to turn back the clock. We talked about this, me and you, uh, on a video earlier this week that we did here uh, in Toronto. I, I want to turn back the clock where video replay is only used for goal goal situations. So the puck, you know, crosses the line or doesn't cross the line. Okay, I think we should go upstairs for that. But for offside, for goalie interference, I feel like we've gone so far the other way trying to correct uh, human errors that now we're we're just in this weird gray zone where. There's too much time wasted in in uh, reviews. It's slowing down the game, and it's just it creates you know too many debates. Like if if we just leave it with with a little bit of human error, you know, if a guy's foot is slightly over for for an offside, like I'm okay with that if if they're getting it right 99 times out of 100. So, anyways, I know they're not going to go back to that, but that's that's my perfect world if uh, we could just sort of I go back in you, time. Man. Because you know what, a goal gets scored now, and I think as a hockey fan, you're just kind of like you're waiting for that review to happen. You're like, hold on, hold on, is it really going to be a goal? And you saw it even with the last time the Leafs played the Habs, where Kasperi Kapanen scores, and Placanix makes uh, contact with uh, Lindgren, the goalie, and right in front of him, the referee's pointing, good goal, good goal, and Placanix uh, doesn't even put his hands in the air because then afterwards he says, you know what, I figured they're going to challenge us, so. I was just kind of waiting, and it's like, it's so anticlimactic. Like, it should be a goal gets scored, you're jumping against the glass, you're throwing your hands in the air, you're cheering, and as a fan, you should be cheering, and now it's kind of like you're having to really kind of pause for another two minutes before you're you're even sure if it is a goal. Yeah, it's a shame. Um, let's move on to another topic, one that's less depressing. Um, here, Here's the question. True or false, Kyle Connor has been the second best rookie this season, and I say second best because there's no debate that Mar- Matt Barzell has been um, the Calder Trophy favorite and has been the best rookie. That, that is a definite true for me, and I thought you were going to go further and say he's been the best rookie, and I thought we were going to have a serious argument there oh. because, you know what, you can make that argument. I know Barzell is more than a point-per-game scorer this season with the Islanders, but to have 27 goals, really, he's two back of Brock Bezzer probably going to finish with 30 goals this year. Definitely going to probably finish with the, the most goals of a rookie. And you know, there is that argument to be made. What is more important, uh, your primary, secondary assists and points in total, or is it goals? And there's, like I said, there's an argument to be made that goals are important. And 
you know, he's playing on a good team. It's not like um, they're just throwing him in there like Clayton Keller in Arizona where you don't have any other options. And you know, Kyle Connor has carved out a real nice niche for himself as a rookie. And like I said, you can make that strong argument that he's been as good or even better than Mar- Matt Barzell. If you're going to have to ask me who I'm voting for today, it's still Barzell. But I think Connor is definitely my uh, number two pick uh, ahead of Besser as it stands. Well, I'm surprised that you're even um, giving it consideration. I mean, it's not a crazy thought, but um, given Barzell's season so far, 75 points, uh, he seems like a legitimate star from from wire to wire. He's been an impact player. May single-handedly keep John Tavares in New York somehow. Um, you know, he's got he's got those. <laughs> not if they don't, maybe if they win the Darlene sweepstakes. <laughs> well, that yeah. I mean, I'm I'm sort of exaggerating because if they don't make the playoffs, then that's a bigger uh, con than than having Barzell probably. Um, but um, Barzell with with I mean, just the highlight reel goals, uh, the ability to possess the puck for like 30 seconds, his poise, like the eye test and and the actual numbers line up with with me uh and him and i don't know his numbers are too are too far ahead of everyone else uh 75 points i believe the next closest is 58 so um i i wouldn't i wouldn't say it's a debate in my mind right now but for for the second best uh i think connor and besser and you could say yanny gord although you know he's 26 and um he's playing with Braden point and you you sort of start docking gord a lot but I'd say Besser and Connor are probably um, in, in contention for the runner-up, but Besser being out obviously dramatically hurts his chances because he's going to end up with 29 goals. Um, it, while, even though he's been Vancouver's MVP, uh, Connor is getting closer and closer to 30, and uh, I think he's going to do it. I think he's going to hit 30. Um, and he might be one of the better comeback stories of the year because he got sent to the AHL to start the season. I think that's something that a lot of people forget. Um, he played 20 games last year in the NHL, so he's not really like a quote-unquote true rookie. But it, it must have been pretty difficult to go back and play in the AHL and then be brought up again and uh, find your form right away and, and pretty much been consistent uh, since that time. Yeah, it's kind of similar what Winnipeg's done with their young players and what Toronto has done with the young players. Like, they are being patient. I think it's probably easy to be patient when you've got that much depth up front. And, you know, it's like for years people were saying, why aren't the Leafs more patient with their young guys? And they'd bring Nathan Kadri up maybe too early and then Luke Shen up too early. And really, it was out of necessity. And look at Winnipeg, and they're so deep that Jack Rosselvick is another guy that really hasn't, uh, well, really took a long time before he got his shot. And he's been kind of up and down as well. And, that's you know, probably in the long term. Uh, what we're seeing with Kyle Connor, at least, it does benefit the player because you know when they do come up, they're maybe a little hungrier and maybe they're a little bit more seasoned. And definitely the the stats speak for themselves. But um, yeah, Winnipeg's got a, a great cachet now of uh, forwards. Um, I think you could put their top nine against really any other team in, in the NHL. And when you're talking about the ages of of these guys, it's even more promising. Yeah, I guess. A counter argument to, to Connor being the runner up would be that Besser is playing with teammates that aren't even near the level of, of Connor's. Connor's uh, most frequent line mates have been uh, Wheeler, Shifley, and Line. And, I mean, he's been like. They're pretty good guys. They're yeah, pretty good players. He, he's been glued to, to Wheeler pretty much uh, the entire season since being recalled from, from the AHL. So that's something to consider. But at the end of the day, like, it's, it's Matt Barzell's 
trophy, and uh, it's 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 a good story to see Kyle Connor come through, um, especially right now as he's on a bit of a hot streak. But I think uh, he doesn't have enough gas, and I think Charlie McAvoy is going to get lost in the shuffle here, even though he's had a fantastic year. Being out with an MCL sprain, uh, he'll be back for the playoffs. Uh, is are the reports? Um, but you know, playing 22 minutes for Boston, helping Zdeno Chara stay relevant as a four-year-old, um, and putting up a f- you know a few points here and there. He, he's been he's been equally as impressive, but probably just won't get the votes based on uh, Barzell's explosion of offense and the fact that McAvoy will have played probably 59 games in his rookie season. So what do you think of, uh, of this one? Uh, this is another true and false. The Canucks are the biggest disappointment among Canadian teams. Uh, the Canucks, I'll say false to that. Um, they've been a disappointment, but I think a lot of us picked them to be out of the playoffs. <clears throat> Right now, I think it's a, in terms of the battle for most disappointing uh, Canadian team, and really, it's, it is a battle royal. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's pretty it's ugly. heated debate right now. Um, you could throw Montreal in there. You could throw Ottawa in there, considering they were a goal away from going to the, uh, the Stanley Cup final. For me, and even Calgary, I guess, the way they've fallen off. But for me, it, I think it, you've got to throw Edmonton at the start, uh, at the top of that list. Like Going into the season, this is a team that, uh, me, you, everyone was really picking to be definitely a playoff team, but I think most of us are even saying uh, Final Four, and it wasn't going to be a surprise if they were going to reach the Stanley Cup Final this season. So to see them fall where they've fallen, especially when you're looking at Connor McDavid putting together another Hart Trophy-worthy season, uh, like what is he, tied for third or something, and uh, Art Ross scoring? So uh, that, that is a huge disappointment, especially when you're wasting that kind of talent. Yeah, they have 69 points right now in 73 games, a minus 26 goal differential, and they're they're 12th in the West. Like they've really just fallen back to earth completely from last year. And to to your point, I would say the consensus uh, across pundits and and hockey people was that this team uh, will not only make the playoffs but probably win the Pacific Division and probably go on a long playoff run, and here we are. And they've been out of the playoff race for almost the entire season. Uh, They were barely relevant even uh, the first uh, quarter of the season. So that was sort of a trick question with the true and false because I would say uh, Edmonton. Edmonton is definitely uh, the one. And then I think I would go to probably Calgary just because of the roster that they have. They have a roster that should make the playoffs and it's looking like they won't they're they're in 11th in the west right now and they've been stumbling down the stretch uh they can't buy a goal and they you know there was a certain time there where mike smith was injured and they looked lost uh their power play has been been terrible um it's just you, you want to love this team and you want to get on the bandwagon but i feel like year after year calgary just disappoints and this year um, the disappointment hits a new level because of uh, the type of players that they have on their team. They're they're skilled, uh, they're big, and you, you you assume that that would help in the playoffs or help them even get to the playoffs. Um, that that defense is is a great top four. Um, there aren't many holes in their roster, so you wonder how they got to this point. Um, Ottawa, I would say. Uh, I, I didn't have high expectations for, so they're not necessarily a huge disappointment. Has the season uh, gone down the tube completely? Ab- yeah, absolutely, on so many different levels. Um, 
But I would say if I'm answering this question, it goes Edmonton, then Calgary, and then probably Montreal. Yeah, the biggest disappointment I think with Calgary is like if they do make the play and miss the playoffs, like they're without their number one or the first round pick again, and I think their second round pick as well. Um, losing both in the Travis Hamonic trade, so uh, two years in a row where they're without a first uh, round pick, and you know, like imagine Calgary winning the draft lottery or at least falling in the top three, and geez, that's that's another kind of Toronto Phil Kessel type trade scenario there. So. Yeah, that doesn't get any easier if you miss the playoffs for that team. It's not like you're going, okay, well, we'll we'll get a player in the draft and go from there. Like this is as good as it's going to get in terms of uh, um, your young players and uh, injecting in the lineup. All right, new question. So true and false among the lottery teams, and I'll list them off uh, in in a minute here. The Coyotes have the greatest need for Rasmus Dahlin. So translation, um, Dahlin would be, have the best fit on the Arizona Coyotes out of Buffalo, Vancouver, Arizona, Montreal, uh, Detroit. I cut it off after that. Actually, Ottawa as well, too. I'll say false to that, John. They might need him, but I don't think he's the answer there. I think um, that, that that's a team that needs maybe three Darlene's, um the way <laughs> that they're going. And there's really no excuse as to why they haven't taken that next step. I'm going to go Vancouver, to be honest here. Okay, okay. Uh, I think when you've got a – I just think where I would like to see him, um, I, I think when you've got Elias Peterson coming up up front, you've already got Brock Besser, you've got Bill Horvat, you're going to have Ole Ulevi as well on the back end, uh, who's a real – I don't say stay-at-home defenseman, but more uh, defensively responsible two-way guy. Having Darlene on uh, his uh, as a pair would just be perfect. Uh, I would love to see that. and. With the Sedins kind of winding down their uh, tenure in uh, Vancouver, to have Peterson and Darling as your uh, your next two Swedes kind of to build around, I think that would just be perfect. And you know, and I could see if Vancouver does win that draft, um, them skyrocketing up the standings in short order. Yeah, I I think it's between for me it's between Arizona and Detroit. Detroit because I don't even know where to start with their defense. There's there's probably not one piece. Um, that I that I would want long term. Uh, that's currently in their lineup. We know Mike Green's leaving. Um, Jonathan Erickson and Nicholas Cronwall. Like you go up and down the list, and there's no one that that gets you excited. So, you know, I feel a little bad for the Red Wings fans out there. Um, but with the with the Arizona Coyotes, um, I just think it'd be nice if if a guy of of such high skill of 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 uh, cornerstone potential ended up in Arizona. Uh, they could use some star power and. Um, something to get them out of this rut. And Oliver Ekman Larson has said that he's he's probably going to stay in Arizona. I would assume that uh, if, if they got Darlene, that would be a huge selling point. Um, so having him, uh, Darlene, uh, Nicholas Jalmerson, Goligoski, Chikrin, Demers, uh, that, that, that ends up looking like a pretty good uh, defense corpse. Um, so, they, you know, Arizona would just have to get – uh, they're themselves together in other aspects of their of their roster. So I kind of like uh, the way that's going, and uh, I also am I'm hesitant to to give any credit or any uh, any goods to the Buffalo Sabers based on how their rebuild's gone. Um, they they could clearly need a guy like him, but I, I lean towards a team like Arizona, who is uh, who just it would be nice for once for Arizona be to be relevant, and I think just having Darlene would would do it. It would, it would turn the switch from off to on. 
Yeah, you know, let's, let's be honest. It's kind of like when Connor McDavid or Austin Matthews was uh, the prize number one pick. Uh, every team at that of the playoffs could use them and uh, would love to have them. Um, and, you know, everyone kind of I think deserves to have them, but they could also, um, where he would fit the best, like you could pick basically any single team in the NHL. It's just a matter of, you know, it's like who's not going to waste them. And when you're looking at, Arizona, I almost fought them together with Buffalo in terms of you know, this is a team that should have had their stuff together years ago. Um, when you're drafting Dylan Strom third overall, uh, when you've got a, a Max Domi, a Clayton Keller already in your lineup, you've got a um, Nick Merkley in the minors, you've got a uh, Lawson Kraus there as well. Like You have the pieces. I, I still kind of almost scratch my head why it's not coming together. And same thing with the Sabres, like everything that you mentioned, like why is that rebuild coming off the ground? I just hope it's not Edmonton. <laughs> Nothing against the Oilers fans and uh, that fan base there, but um, if they win another uh, draft, uh, I think I think everyone in the NHL is going to be up in arms. A part of me is kind of cheering for that because it'd be funny. Like it'd be just so ridiculous that the franchise that continues to trade away first overall picks gets another one, and it happens to be. Uh, you know, a Connor McDavid equivalent, or or someone else that's gonna really uh, take the league by storm. That would that would almost that would be too mind blowing. I think I think I would stay off Twitter for a couple days after that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you're probably right in that regard. And you know, they've had so much luck in the draft. They just it's everywhere else that they've kind of faltered. Um, well, aside from the first round, let's be honest. So for this particular topic, I looked at HockeyViz.com to come up with. Uh, a handful of teams who uh, who are vying for for Rasmus Dahlin or or even just to take someone at the first overall spot um, over at HockeyViz, they have an algorithm that calculates who has the highest probability of winning first overall. So Buffalo is at sixteen percent chance of getting it. Arizona is at fifteen percent. Vancouver is at fifteen percent. Montreal nine percent. Ottawa nine percent. Detroit. Nine percent. Keep in mind that these type of uh, probabilities change nightly, and you know they're, they're based on the current standings, strength of schedule, uh, games remaining, that type of stuff. But there's clearly this this group at the bottom of the standings that that all have a decent chance. Um, but again, then again, you know you got Buffalo at sixteen percent. That's not much of a guarantee. Uh, the draft lottery odds have have really thrown a wrench into into tanking. Yeah, it's funny. It's like uh, the idea that I think uh, is it Vancouver and Buffalo are playing, and someone was saying it's the uh, Darlene Cup. And really, even if you do have that final pick, you have a less than 50% chance of actually winning the pick. Um, and we saw that last season where I think Colorado was the worst overall team, and they didn't pick until fourth overall, right? So anything can happen. And, and that's why it would be kind of funny to see if Chicago actually won uh, the first overall pick because he's, uh, you're talking about a team that could win a fourth cup there with that core group. Um, all they need is really just kind of an injection of youth there, and Dolan could be that guy. Yeah, they'd have that three-year window when he's on his entry level where you've just added, assuming that he just comes in the league and is as advertised, you're adding a number one defenseman, maybe number two in the first year, depending on how he adjusts. For for less than a million dollars, that, that would be an incredible turn of events for a a franchise that's, you know, out of the playoffs this season, and you look at their roster and how it's aging, and the fact that there's still um, 
very much attached to Kane and Taves, uh, that would be a huge boost. Oh yeah, it, it wouldn't be fair. Let's be honest. Yeah, <laughs> but it would. But you know what? That's the whole point of this draft lottery. It's it's really prevented teams from uh, purposely tanking and uh, really going for uh, that first overall pick. So you know, it's not just Darlene either. Like we've talked about this draft, and we were both at the World Juniors. Like there was a, a great group of uh, players in that top five, maybe even top seven or top ten, uh, in this year's draft. And you know, there's probably going to be maybe close to five players that are going to jump in and make some sort of impact and be in the running for the, the Calder Trophy. So whether you get Darlene or you get an Andre Sesnikov or Philip Sedina or a Brady Kachuk or whoever else um, is in that top five, you're probably getting a, a player that can really help you out um, this coming season. Yeah, we're coming up on the end of the mar- end of March. I think, yeah, the draft would be in three months. So, um yeah, crazy. I know it seems weird. Um, okay, next topic: true and false, or sorry, true or false. James Van Riemsdyk is the best net front player in the NHL. I would have to say so. I'd say true. Um, I, I saw a stat where I think, uh, aside from Van Riemsdyk, only I think Eric Stahl. Um, oh, is it Anders Lee from uh, the Islanders, and maybe one other player has scored more goals from inside I think five or ten feet um, than Van Riemsdyk has this season so you know I want to say he's a throwback to um, the Dean Cicerelli guys but he's as good as any of those guys in terms of really planning himself in front of the net not making contact with the goalie and just using that big body um, not in a physical way but just really kind of in the sense that he's just impossible to move out in front of there and he's got such great hands and you know, the Leafs are really using him to the effect that uh that he's really built for, and you know, the more goals he scores, the more money he's going to make for another team uh, next season. So, don't be surprised if he becomes like really that that big fish in free agency. Aside from like a guy like Tavares, if he ends up actually leaving the Islands. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, he's up to thirty-three goals, Van Riemsdyk, in seventy-two games. Leafs have ten games left. Um, he's caught fire the last week or so, and the one thing I, I like about him is that he's. He's kind of a meat and potatoes guy. Like, like when you actually look at what he accomplishes and, and sort of his his toolbox, but what he does uh, is just so effective. And uh, he's meat and potatoes in regards to positioning and uh, maybe the way that he moves around the ice. But once he's in front of the net and he has the puck, he has the, the finesse to just flip it top corner when you don't think it's even possible. Uh, and he, as you mentioned, um, his tipping ability is, is up there too. Uh, Anders Lee is, is another guy, like you mentioned. Uh, Wayne Simmons, Makachuk, Jamie Benn. It, like, this true and false type of question or, or statement is, is totally subjective. Um, and, uh, I mean, it, it really just comes down to hand-eye coordination, positioning, uh, being, a, being a nuisance. Like, I think Sidney Crosby is actually a really good net front player. Like, I don't, I don't know how often, uh, if you were to track how often he actually – is, is is positioned in front of the net and just standing there, but his drive by tips are are probably the best in the league. And you can name off guys like Corey Perry or or Joe Pavelski as, as well. Who when they when they go towards the middle of the ice, they're getting a stick on the puck somehow. Yeah, and it's a it really is a oh, lost art, but it's one of those ones that if you don't practice it, you just don't get better or you don't get really good at. And uh, you go to Leafs practice or their morning skates and. 
JVR is in front of the net, and he's asking the goalie or the defenseman to fire shot after shot after shot. So he can work on that skill, and I don't think enough players really do that, or enough players are really willing to kind of pay the price. And all you have to do is just watch a power play, and you know, like I, I know you're not allowed to do as much as you could to a, a player in front of the net as you once did back in the '80s, '90s, or maybe even early 2000s, but he still takes his fair share of abuse in front of that net. So they do come at a cost. This isn't a guy just firing pucks from 30 feet out on the perimeter. Yeah, it's funny you mention uh, guys practicing and uh, and just thinking about uh, tipping pucks. I did a story uh, in October about sort of the art of tipping a hockey puck and, and deflecting uh, at the National Hockey League level. And a guy like Joe Pavelski, I talked to him for about a half hour. And, like, this isn't just something that he – he decides he's going to do during the game. He, there's a lot of thought into it, um, you know, where he puts his hand on the stick, how he's uh, sort of presenting himself to the defender when he's turning his body. Um, you know, I, I talked to Anders Lee too, and he says, there's certain guys on my team where I know exactly where the puck is going. There's certain guys that I have no idea where the puck's going when they're releasing it uh, from the point. So it's funny how it seems like, just something that that you know is is luck based or um, just involves you know screening the goalie, but really um, when you do look at the at the data, there's a lot of the same guys who end up with tip goals or even just tip shots and deflections year after year. It's it's the same group of guys. Another guy that I didn't mention before was Chris Kreider, who's not who's not big, and you maybe think more of as a fast break guy. He's got great speed, but he's constantly up there in terms of tips and deflections. So uh, it's a funny topic and. And, and I think, I mean, I, I don't think you could really, uh, it, again, it's subjective, but I don't think you could really say that James Van Riemsdyk is, is worse than maybe uh, third best in the league or fifth best. Like, he, he's, he's very consistently in front of the net, and if he's not, he's at the side of the net uh, providing maybe a spot for, for a give and go. He's just always, uh, I guess, in the goalie's grill. And you know what? Credit Randy Carlisle for when he was a Leafs coach uh, for – bringing that out of JVR because that wasn't always his kind of go-to play or go-to scoring opportunity. Uh, that's something that I'd say he developed more and more uh, when he came from Philadelphia to Toronto. And you'd hear Randy Carlisle really impressing on him uh, the need for him to do that. And, you know, some guys might have just shrugged it off and said, you know what, that's not my game. I, I think I'm this kind of player. But for a guy like JVR, he really welcomed it. And he's had his most productive seasons by far since he came to Toronto. And became that type of player and when you're a second overall pick and maybe in college you're scoring more goals flying down the wing and more skilled goals to go to a sort of what you described as a, a bread and butter kind of meat and potatoes type of play well you know some guys might have said uh, my ego's too big for that kind of um, meat and potatoes game I'm this kind of player and you know he, he's gone the other way and he's really embraced it and made the most of that kind of skill set that not a lot of guys possess. Got to give him credit for that. And he's he's become really um, either a, a 30-goal scorer or 25. He's, he's always in that 25-30 range, which, I mean, that's not easy in today's NHL. Um, okay, next topic. True or false, San Jose was the best possible landing spot for Evander Kane? Yes, true. <laughs> How can you argue with that? I know, I know. I, I, that's a Four softball. the other night. <laughs> Yeah, what a what a like trade! Like they didn't give up much at all. Um, nothing of worth. Um, well, I'm honestly nothing of worth. But they didn't give up a first rounder. They didn't give up uh, what a lot of people thought they were going to give up uh, for a cane or what 
maybe Buffalo had been asking the, the league for Kane, and yet this guy was worth the first-round pick when you look at how he's produced uh, since coming to San Jose. And when you say uh, San Jose is the perfect landing spot, I think that has a lot to do with the dressing room. And you've got Joe Thornton in that room. You've got Brent Burns. You've got Pavelski. You've got Couture. You've got a lot of guys that are professional hockey players in the sense that they know what it takes to win. Um, they go about their business. It seems like they still have a lot of fun, um, obviously, with the way they dress, the way they act. But when it comes down to the hockey um, and training and whatnot, um, there are a lot of guys. They, they keep each other accountable, and I think that's the perfect spot for Kane. Similar to how Kessel found a really great landing spot in Pittsburgh, uh, in San Jose, Evander Kane doesn't have to be the guy. He doesn't have to be the second or third guy. And he just has to kind of go about his business and not fall out of line. And really, he's kind of embraced whatever that role is. And you know, the numbers speak for themselves. I think aside from maybe J.T. Miller in Tampa Bay, there's been, and maybe Paul Stastny in Winnipeg, I don't think there's been a better trade acquisition uh, so far right now. Yeah, I mean, there, there's an argument for for Vander Kane being the best acquisition of the deadline. I, I, I can definitely get involved in that sort of argument. Um, best value, though, I think it has to be a Vander Kane. I don't think there's much of an argument around that. Um, Buffalo only got a conditional first round pick, a fourth rounder, and prospect Daniel O'Regan. Um, that first rounder, the condition is that the the Buffalo Sabres will get a first-rounder if Evander Kane signs in the offseason with the San Jose Sharks. It turns into a second-rounder uh, if he decides not to sign with the Sharks. Um, so that that's sort of how it's laid out, and I think the value's there. And that, that's a lot to give up at that point. I don't know. You think so? I think so. Like, if you don't win a Stanley Cup with them and you're saying, okay, as a guy that age... Um, for what he's going to require as a UFA. Um, is that better than getting someone that you could uh, possibly have on an ELC, like an entry-level contract, for three years? Um, like, granted, you might never see that guy. He might come down the road two or three years from now. But still, that that, that could be the hefty price. I don't know. Um, I'm thinking Buffalo is not going to get that first-rounder. Yeah, I, I don't know. The Sharks have a lot of cap space, a lot of expiring contracts. Tax space for Eric Carlson, though, John. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Um, <laughs> and yeah. Or John Tavares. It would be hard to fit all three under uh, under one cap. Um, now, what's the, the requirement on that? So he re-signs, and you got to give uh, a first pick, a first-round pick. But how about if he goes to July 1st, and then you just sign him um, on the open market? Do you still have to give up that pick, or is there going to be some claims of funny business if, uh, if that actually happens? I don't know for sure, but I would imagine there's some somewhere in there that if he signs before next season, like as in he has the whole summer to sign with them, um, and then if that does happen, the Sabres would get the first-round pick. I'm not 100% sure on that, but I would imagine uh, Jason Botterill and, and the Sabres got that written in stone. Yeah, what would you rather have, Kane or JVR? Ooh, I feel like, I mean, it depends on... on JVR doesn't cost you a first-round pick. No, I, I would just... But JVR is also going to be more expensive. Um, I think that he's going to be very highly sought after. Um, so, I mean, if you can fit it... If it works with your books, I would rather have uh, James Van Riemsdyk over Vander Kane, yeah. Yeah, although James... You know, Kane could end up winning a cup and <laughs> you could just skyrocket. I think he's worth a first-rounder if, if you can reel him in on a deal. 
Um, I don't know. Maybe we can agree to disagree on on this specific topic. Um, anyways, moving on. Uh, the, the, the Nashville Predators are basically locked into the top spot in the Western Conference. It's looking like no one's going to them, knock them off their pedestal down the stretch here. Uh, so my question for you would be, um, considering that that means they'll likely draw either Colorado, Dallas, or Anaheim in the first round, um, which team do you think is the, the easiest out? False. Is it true or false, Bill? Oh, yeah, I guess the true, and, <laughs> the true or false would be... <laughs> The Predators are better off playing Colorado than they are playing Anaheim or Dallas in the first round. The, the big old false again there. You know what? The way that Dallas is going, I, I love their team. I actually picked them for the Stanley Cup final in our preseason picks uh, along with Tampa Bay. But, you know, Ben Bishop can't stay healthy. Um, and when he does, he doesn't seem like he's the same guy. And they're stumbling. So if they do make the playoffs, I feel like they're going to be spinning their wheels um, to get there. Um, so I'd rather face the Dallas team. You know what? I might even want to face Anaheim just because of you know, Ryan Getzlaff is still a dominant player. But look at his numbers this year, 11 goals. The, the tank is running a little empty. And same thing with Corey Perry. And Ryan Kessler has got so many miles on his body as well. So I think I'd, I'd rather face either of those teams, uh, maybe specifically Dallas, than I would uh, Colorado just because that's a young team that has nothing to lose. And, you know, if they do make the playoffs, it almost feels like they're going to be playing with house money uh, in that first round. Yeah, I guess that's a dangerous situation to find yourself in if you're the Predators. They'll obviously be heavily favored against any of those teams, I think. But um, if it ends up being Colorado, you have a team that, while they rely heavily on, on Nathan McKinnon and, and Miko Rantanen, I don't think that they'll be holding back one bit. I think they'll be going full throttle. Uh, maybe not scheming as much as, as an Anaheim Ducks team would, would scheme against uh, the Nashville Predators. Or, or you know, I, I just I hadn't thought about Carl it that Mark's way. playing out of his mind right now, too. Yeah, I hadn't, I hadn't thought of it in the way that um, if you're the top seed and you're playing the bottom seed, uh, if the bottom seed has is pretty much just just jumping for joy being in the playoffs, going from worst to the playoffs, which is essentially what Colorado is going to do if they if they pull this off, um, then that's pretty dangerous. Um, Anaheim. Yeah, like Ana- I talked to Joe Sackick yesterday, and he was just saying, like, I was like, hey, how, how are you enjoying this playoff run, considering where you were at this time a year ago? And he's like, oh, it's just been fun. Like, these guys, they're, they're so carefree. They're so loose. They're just having a great time. They're winning games. They're feeling better about themselves. Um, it's just such a great team. They believe in themselves. They, they all, they all seem to care for one another because they know they're going to be together for a number of years. And I'm just thinking to myself, as he's saying this, I'm like, geez, if you're Vegas, if you're Nashville, that's the last thing you want to hear. If you're going up against Colorado, like you want to go against a team that is almost like Anaheim or uh, Dallas, where you're, you're thinking that as a Dallas star or as a Duck, like, okay, is this our last year? And you're squeezing the stick tight, and oh boy, all those expectations going into the season. Like it's complete opposite in Colorado, and I think that is a dangerous formula if you're going up against that team. I think typically, I side towards uh, like if I'm picking, say, a Stanley Cup winner at the start of the playoffs, I'm not going to pick a team that's never gone far in the playoffs because I think, well, first of all, it's very rare, and I think there is something to being battle tested. It sounds so cliche and kind of lame, but I think there's something to it, but if we're talking about just the first round and a seven-game series, 
uh, between seed one and uh, seed eight. I think maybe maybe you're on to something where the, the young legs and uh, Nathan McKinnon playing absolutely out of his mind. Uh, he's basically uh, taken the hard trophy debate and, and you know, just flushed it down the toilet. Like, he, he is the MVP of this league. And if he can somehow harness that, like he did a few years ago when he had a great playoffs, and even if they just get to the second round, I think that's a tremendous accomplishment. Yeah, no, and in terms of Colorado, like it just gets better. Like they're going to have Kale McCarr next year, possibly. Uh, they already they got an Ottawa's pick either this year or next year, and that's going to be a high pick as well. So uh, get used to seeing like that old school Avalanche team, like the the days of Saskic and Forsberg and Patrick Waugh. Like this team's not going anywhere. If anything, uh, we're just seeing a, a glimpse as to what the next few years are going to hold for um, this team, who's just going to be a force in the West. All right, Michael, much appreciated you uh, speaking to to me for this episode while you're uh, waiting to, to board a plane. I, I appreciate it, and uh, safe travels from Florida to Toronto. Hey, thanks, John. I appreciate it, and, uh, yeah, hopefully the weather is not so bad because, I don't know, I didn't bring a winter coat here. So. <laughs> <laughs> I will see you back in Toronto, buddy.